Merry Christmas, Renaissance family. Let me pray for us before we begin today's message. God, our good and faithful Father, uh, I pray that in this Christmas season, uh, you would align our hearts to you and we'd be able to hear from you. I ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, holidays are tough for a lot of reasons. I think there's so many family dynamics for so many people. And if you're just like me, I just get bogged down in so many details. Now, full confession, I am a last-minute shopper. Every year I say I'm not going to do it, and then every year I find myself way too late in the game going shopping for those one or two gifts that I didn't get just yet. And by the time that I stumble into Christmas, I don't know that I can say that my heart is centered on Jesus. And so what is Christmas all about? What should we be experiencing this Christmas? As a father now, uh, trying to explain to my kids who are a little bit older what Christmas is all about, they have some pretty interesting interpretations of what Christmas is about. So what is it about? Christmas quite literally means Christ Mass. It means the worship of Christ. Christmas is supposed to be about worship. So then the million-dollar question is, what is worship? Worship defined biblically is to prize something over everything else. And this Christmas, to worship Christ doesn't just mean we sing songs, although I love me some Christmas bangers. It means that in our hearts, our heart's posture is that Jesus is prized. Jesus is prioritized above everything else. And so there is a a story in scripture that I want us to think about today um, from the gospel of Matthew. As Matthew records Jesus's arrival, and I think it shows us what it means to to worship Jesus this Christmas. Matthew 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, He was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, up front, we see this one person in Scripture who is a real tyrant. He's a real bad man. And Scripture shows us this guy, King Herod, not because we are like him in many ways, but because he shows us a window and a glimpse of one of the obstacles that we have this Christmas to worshiping Jesus. So King Herod was known for his jealousy, and quite honestly, he would kill anyone who threatened his absolute, absolute rule. So he was not happy about this one named Jesus, who people were calling a king. If you crossed Herod, he would kill you and your entire family. So this scripture is pretty interesting because it says something about his reaction. It says in verse, uh, in verse 3 that when Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. The Greek word is terasso, which means he had this inward commotion. The calmness of his mind was taken away. And the reason that he was disturbed was because someone was threatening his rule over his life. And I think if you're a thinking person this Christmas, to follow Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus, in many ways means you're, you're not just inviting Jesus into your life as a friend, as a homeboy, as a companion, not even just Jesus as a good shepherd to lead you, but scripture reminds us that Jesus is a king. So the Bible gives us this character of Herod 
as a mirror to ourselves, but rather that when Jesus comes to our lives, he threatens our own little kingdoms. He threatens the way that we have always done things. Jesus calls us to love people that we wouldn't have wanted to love. Jesus calls us to do things that we would not want to do on our own. And so this Christmas, I think one of the ways that I am trying to reorient my life, one of the ways that I'm trying to worship Jesus is to make my life available to Jesus as his servant. So to have a king means we are subjects. And this simple truth ought to radically approach, change the way we approach every single day. And every single day, what would it look like if you started your day tomorrow Yes, I know you're going to have the gifts and the hot chocolate and all the things that make Christmas special in your home, but what, what would it look like if you started your day by asking the question, Lord Jesus, our King, how can I serve you and your people today? But here's the good thing about Jesus. He is not just a King that is out for his own uh, purposes. Jesus is a good King. Jesus is nothing like Herod who was out for his own advancement. You know, there's a story about a great ancient king, and one of his faithful stewards was about to have a wedding. So this king promised his steward that he would pay for the wedding. He said, go to my accountant and tell him how much it costs, and we will take care of it. The steward looks at the king, goes back, and comes back with an astronomical number. The accountant runs to the king and says, king, I don't know what you told this person, but he gave us the craziest number for his wedding, there's no way you would want to pay all of that. The king looked at his accountant and said, pay it. This man does us a great honor because by asking for so much, he believes that I am both great and generous. And so Jesus is a good king and he wants to come, he wants us to come to him as a king who is not just someone who wants to order us around, but he is both great and generous. And he has proven that by giving us his own life. Let's keep reading. Uh, The second way that we can respond to Jesus and something else we see in Scripture are these chief priests and religious leaders, also in Matthew 2, as the story progresses. Now, if you read through these verses too quickly, you will miss out on what the Christmas story is trying to show us and to teach us about our human nature. So verse 4 says, So he, Herod, he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. Because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means the least among rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now I want to go slowly here. The chief priests and the scribes, their job was to work in the temple. They were really devout people of faith, And everyone out of the whole nation of Israel, they would have known specifically that there was this prophecy that the Messiah was coming. This was their job to prepare their people, to prepare God's people for this Messiah. So this should have been the most exciting news that they've ever heard. But as exciting as this news should have been, they were now faced with a decision. Now there is this maniac named Herod who is asking about the whereabouts of this new king named Jesus. And these, wise, these uh, scribes and these chief priests, they have a decision to make. They could either protect this Messiah who was coming to save their people, or they can watch their own necks, protect their own necks. And they made the decision for self-preservation. They started to snitch as soon as Herod asked them what to do. 
Now, I can't blame them because I don't know what I would do if, quite literally, I was faced with a decision in front of someone with that much power as Herod had. But these men are in Scripture to show us one of the obstacles that we have this Christmas. Certainly, your obstacle is not dealing with a king named Herod. But all of us have this impulse inside of us which robs us of making Jesus truly the prize above all things because we're just kind of in this thing for self-advancement and self-preservation. What is in it for me? And so when I think about my own life and the the reasons that I have come to Jesus, in a lot of ways, I've come to Jesus to work off guilt. I knew that the way that I was living life was wrong, and I, I wanted to feel less guilty about myself. So I came to Jesus so he would help me Uh, not have guilt. I wanted to have a purpose in life, and I wanted to have hope for the life to come. Now, all of these things are good. God doesn't want you to live in guilt. God wants you to have a purpose. God God wants us to be with him for eternity. But one of the questions that I've had to wrestle with over and over and again in my life is this. To really prize Jesus above everything means that even if Jesus does not give me the version of life that I so desperately want, will I serve him or will I go in the direction of self-advancement? Now, one of the biggest challenges to this is that I tend to think that the things that I have my eyes on are really good and they're going to fulfill me. There was an old podcast, uh, This American Life, and it talked about this one family that every year they would spend a week at the Disneyland Hotel, not at Disneyland, but at the Disneyland Hotel. And this one mother, for whatever reason, would take her family to the Disneyland Hotel. And this entire podcast is about a a woman who's describing what it was like year after year to be at the Disneyland Hotel, looking over the fence to all of these people going to ride the rides. And all day, she and her brother would just daydream about how amazing it must be to go to Disneyland. Her mother had some reasons why she didn't want to go But one year, her mother surprised her. In the midst of going to the Disneyland Hotel, her mother passed the two kids, something they had been waiting for their entire lives, tickets to Disneyland. Now, what was most shocking about that story, as she told the podcast, was she had been waiting for years and years to go to Disneyland. She thought it was going to be the most amazing thing that has ever happened. And when she got there, she said, you know what? It was was kind of okay. Her dreams overpromised and underdelivered. And I think to a certain extent, all of the dreams that we have for our lives, they overpromise us. They overpromise us that if we just had this, our life would have value and meaning. If I just had this, I would finally be content. But when we get these things sometimes, we realize that our dreams underdeliver. And so one of the challenges of coming to Jesus to get something is that Jesus knows that the thing that you are in search of him delivering for your life will never provide permanent value and lasting value for you. And one of the invitations to us this Christmas is to come to Jesus and surprise him above all things and say, Jesus, I trust that what you have for me is better than what I can get for myself. And not just that, I trust that you are better than all of the dreams that I could have on my own. And that's partly what it means to to worship Christ to prize him above all things. Let's keep reading to the last group. It says in verse 7, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them to give the exact time the star appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And so we see this third group of people, the Magi, also known as the wise men. Now, the Magi, they were not there for a transaction. They were not there for themselves. They show us the beauty of what a life touched by Jesus could look like. They came to Jesus to worship. Verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, let me stop you really quickly before you start to think that worship is about singing songs to Jesus. They show us the significance of what it means to worship Jesus. Now, for years, I didn't understand the meaning of the gifts that they gave to Jesus and how it could apply to my life. So I've read theology books on the, the meaning of the gifts. So gold represented a gift to Jesus because he truly was a king. Frankincense was this um, incense that was symbolic of Jesus as our priest, that Jesus is the one connecting us, us sinful people to a holy God. And myrrh was this gift prefiguring Jesus's death almost as an embalming fluid. Jesus was not just a king, he was a king that would offer himself for us to God the Father in his death. But for us, what I want us to take away this Christmas is this. What they were offering to Jesus was something meaningful. So I think what worship is, is offering God something really meaningful. Now, this is not in the, in the form of finances or anything like that. I think what Jesus really wants is your life. I think what re- Jesus really wants is your trust. I think what worship would look like for us is that we would follow him. We would follow him even if we were confused about where he was taking us. We would value him above us even if it didn't make sense to us. We would orient our life around him and his teachings and what he's calling us to do, even if it went against the grain of what we wanted to do. I think that looks a whole lot more like worship. That is giving God the most meaningful thing that you have. And, you know, Scripture gives us reasons that we would find Jesus so meaningful. One that's traditionally read around Christmas time comes from Isaiah 53. And I want us to look at this Scripture so we would dwell on Jesus this Christmas, who is better than what we can have on our own. He can lead us to love better. He can lead us to, the, to God the Father better. He is better. Isaiah 53 says this, that Jesus grew up, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet, he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, 
struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. This Christmas, my hope and my prayer is that we would prize Jesus, our Lamb of God, more than everything else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you today with some trepidation and hesitation in my life, asking you for the grace to give you my life, to commit my life to you in your hands. Lord, I believe that you are good, that you are powerful, and you are a good king that has laid down your life for me. And I hope to do the same and worship to you, to lay down my life for you, to give it up for you. Lord, you know what's best for me. You know what I need. And too often, Lord, I, I grasp so tightly on my hopes and my dreams. I grasp so tightly on my plans for me. And I find myself tempted to try to be in control of my own life. Jesus, this Christmas, may my worship resemble letting go of control, giving you the steering wheel of my life, and trusting you. May your will be done in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.